Dr. Travis Brown, why do we need a podcast called This Pathological Life? Every disease has its own story to tell. So we're going to tell them. So would you do it? I would like to think that I would, but I think I wouldn't. And I'd probably divorce my husband for asking, or at least ignore him for a while. (laughs) Maybe once a year, maybe even once a month, I don't know. Definitely not every day. This is the first episode of This Pathological Life. We have a grand agenda moving forward, and it really is about shining a light on pathology today. Dr. Travis Brown is the co-host of this program. There's a lot to talk about, but perhaps in many ways, stories lead us into the world to understand the the significance of any particular endeavor. And in the case of pathology, there's a certain Mary from history whose story is worthy of remembering a lot more than history has done for her so far. She is. Her her name's Mary Papanikolaou. She is unfortunately not much of a than a footnote in history at the moment. Uh, I can't tell you her birth date. I can't tell you when she died. I really can't tell you much more than uh, a few lines, to be honest. Uh, And and for that, unfortunately, um, we are at a little bit of a loss. Um, Because her contribution has paved the way for hundreds and thousands of lives to be saved, to be honest. Was she a researcher, a doctor, scientist? No, she was was actually a volunteer. So... And what era are we talking about? I can tell you what I do know. What what we do know about her is she was from a famous military family. Uh, She emigrated uh, from Greece to the US in 1913. Um, at that time, it was with uh, her husband, whose name is George Papanikolaou. Um, and she initially worked as a store seamstress. But the reason we know anything about her is actually because her, her husband is very famous. His, his name, George Papanikolaou, is a person who developed the pap smear. Right, which has since gone on to save countless lives. That's right. So from... From what we know, and we actually have some details about George and his life, he was a, a person that went to medical school and as well as a scientist. Uh, but what he, his theory was that you could actually tell that uh, cancer cells from the cervix could tell you that a patient needed an operation or had a disease that needed to be dealt with. But at these times, he wasn't able to get human subjects at all. He was actually doing that on guinea pigs, getting cervical cells, and and he worked out. He could actually tell the difference on smears, uh, that the difference between a normal and cancerous cell, but not able to do it on humans. Uh, Mary volunteered to have a pap smear every day, as far as we can tell, for up to about 20 years. And as far as we know... Is a pap smear procedure in 2020 the same as or different from what George was doing? Not sure. He would have had to develop it. So it's a it's a procedure that you sit there and just go, because not only did he have to work out how to get it, he had to do a stain, which we still have, the, the pap stain. Uh, so he had to develop. So he is well-renowned, 
Um, and rightfully so, but for Mary, she was the subject who throughout that time, now George is notably a person who didn't take holidays, didn't take weekends, was effectively what we would say a workaholic. Um, so I'm guessing that was something that persisted. Now, it's important to realise that he would have noted a number of changes over time, depending on how long they do it, because the uh, a woman's uh, estrogen cycle, hormonal cycle, changes sometimes with what the, you see under the pap smear. Uh, and so from there, he developed and published and eventually got recognised that, yes, the pap smear is a very good screening test which can identify malignant cells that can then be surgically removed. So just backtrack one moment. How many times did he perform these, or pap smears as we know them, on Mary? We believe every day for years to come. For how long? I heard 20 years at some point. Well, it's, it's believed to be 20 years. Um, we, again, we don't have exactly how much because we don't know. We don't have good evidence with regards to... The, we don't know much, but... She was part of the, she was his uh, volunteer. Uh, she not only ran the household, apparently ran the lab that he was operating out of. Uh, and yes, she, she was the person who is pretty much the volunteer to develop that test. Compress that to today, what George was doing and uh, taking the, the pap smear and doing his analysis, how does that differ from what happens at ClinPath Pathology now uh, when a sample sent in. So now what's changed? The, the pap smear has probably stayed unchanged for, well, certainly for decades. It, it, had, it was unchanged. We would do it. The timing has changed. So we've become a little bit more knowledgeable about the, the, the nature and causative agent. So effectively, uh, cervical cancer is uh, known to be associated with uh, HPV, so a human papillomavirus. And so we've identified there's a whole bunch of viruses, you know, they're, they're labelled sort of 6, 11, you know, 33. We know there's high-risk viruses. We know there's uh, low-risk viruses. And so throughout time, what will have changed mainly is the frequency of how often uh, someone will have a pap smear. Uh, so the re recommendations the last few years have changed from every two years to now every five years. And the reason that's changed is because we know the natural history of HPV is most of them resolve by themselves out of time and don't need intervention. Uh, but those that persist, we do need to intervene. So if we intervened early, that patient may have resolved it over time by themselves without needing any surgery. And that's always preferable. But that's why we now do five yearly screening is because if it's there... Uh, something will tend to be done, done something about. How good would it be if it was actually called the Mary Pap Smear, just to <laughs> honour what she did uh, in the name of science and saving lives in the future? We're going to look at the field of pathology even more broadly in just a moment. So perhaps go in behind that screen and prepare yourself. <laughs> and so the question is... Would you do that in the name of science? Have a pap smear every single day for 20 years? Yeah, why not? Why would you do that? Well, if it'll do any good to um, 
help diagnose period pain and things like that, yes. It's not like a big operation or anything that's going to hurt. It's a, it's a pap smear is only a very minor discomfort. Now that Dr. Travis is ready, I will continue with this episode because Socrates said the beginning of wisdom is the definition of terms. So let's define a few terms around pathology itself. How do you define it as a, a, a working general pathologist? Okay. So the, the literal term uh, for pathology literally is a study of disease. Uh, and that that is accurate. That's what we do, you know, uh, ClinPath uh, pathology we study modern-day disease. So if you think about anything that's in the body, almost everything that's in the body either has a pathologist who will look at it or examine it or have something to interpret about it. I think there was only one fluid that I could work out uh, that we don't test. And what's that? Tears. So we don't test tears is probably the only fluid we don't test. Is that because there'd be nothing we'd learn from that? I don't know. It's one of those ones where you sit there, it would be hard. I mean, imagine having a request form come in and say, oh, you know, he's Steve, we're here to, uh, you know, just collect Steve's tears or sort of get out the DVD of Marley and me. <laughs> uh, you know, here we go. So... It's 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 an interesting. I don't know. It's it's one of those things. I haven't even found studies on it. But uh, you think about it, an organ or a fluid, everything's examined by us. So well, let's look at some of the the, the main ones. So blood, of course. Yeah. No hematology. So uh, again, let's let's look at sort of you know go through the systems. So any tissue diagnosis is actually looked at uh, by histopathologists. So histo tissue. Uh, in that area. So if you need a biopsy from your liver or your lung or, you know, your gallbladder taken out or you know, your appendix taken out, that goes to a, a, a pathologist who, anatomical pathology or a histopathologist. If you need your blood production looked at because you've got way too many white blood cells or something's going on there, it'll go to a hematologist. Uh, you, you start to look at it. If you need chemistry analysed, it's a chemical pathologist. If it's immunology, it's an immunologist. It's, it's, a, it's a very broad field. It's, it's confusing a lot of the times, and sometimes it's a little bit challenging because you don't even know which area. Is this a chemistry area? So uh, GPs, they, they, they like to call a general pathologist because they're not quite sure which area it fits into. And is that something that you are there to provide? That's the service. Yep. So yep. you field those calls and then head people in yep. the right direction. So, you know, we'll cover, like I've trained in most of the areas of pathology. Some some uh, areas have been a little bit more enjoyable than others. I must admit forensic pathology was a bit of a challenge going and, you know, each morning we're sort of reviewing the dead bodies that people were going to look at and examine or always a bit of a... I, I realised very quickly that wasn't for me. <laughs> so when you say some areas are more enjoyable, what on earth could be an enjoyable area of pathology? Infectious disease is phenomenally interesting. I must admit I can find parasitology absolutely amazing to read and I cannot deal with it at all. <laughs> uh, it is, it's phenomenal life cycles and, and things like that, but... Um, it's a it's it's an interesting area and that falls under the microbiology it's it's interesting because there's not only each field there's also subspecialties in each field so uh it is a it's a fantastic area but it is it is challenging and sometimes even navigating the system 
when you're outside of it, uh, meaning a doctor, what, who do I talk to with regards to that? Uh, it can sometimes be a sort of going through the, the phone systems, even just to find the right person to talk to is a bit of a challenge. So sometimes a general pathologist is always useful in that area. Right. Okay. And so here at ClinPath, for example, uh, something comes in, you've helped direct it to the right aspect of your lab, and then there's conversations back and forth with specialists who are on the base. So we, we provide results uh, for, you know, if it's chemistry, then, you know, you're looking at liver function tests or your kidney function tests or anything. Uh, that's, you know, sometimes it gets such a specialised question that I won't know myself and I'll talk, call our chemical pathologist. We'll say, look, uh, can you talk to this doctor regarding it? It's a little bit beyond my knowledge. Uh, so yes, it's a, it is challenging sometimes. Generally speaking, out there in the field of general practice, are most GPs just comfortable in sending things forth to get them tested and analysed? Sometimes is there hesitation? It's different. It, sometimes it's, it's almost personality-based with regards to it. Sometimes doctors like doing lots of tests and seeing, you know, what's going on here. Sometimes t people do very specific tests. The It just depends on the way they're comfortable practising and looking after their patients. Uh, but, yeah, advice, we, it's common to, for us to receive a call and just say, look, what do I do with this result? Uh, and uh, sometimes um, we're, we're able to deal with it in-house and sometimes it'll be these additional tests will be helpful to sort it out for you. And, of course, the figures are staggering about how many of us here in Australia have something tested by pathologists at some point every year. Yeah, no, I, I believe they're up around one in two. One in two people have a test every year. Um, but 70% of uh, medical decisions are based on pathology results. 100% of cancer diagnosis are done with pathology tests. Um, we're now at the point where even the pathology tests help t uh, for management, uh, direction, what's going to be uh, increasing in the next few years, uh, probably the next five to ten years, is what is the treatment advice on things like molecular pathology of a tumour. But, but also diabetes is something that our world, especially in the Western world, is grappling with, the developed world, uh, because of our lifestyle, diet, etc. Pathology is key in this, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, the, so pathology, whilst it's the study of disease, effectively, it's f from my perspective, it's the study of understanding. So when we look at uh, a disease, we can see there are some diseases that are similar, there are some diseases that are very different, and sometimes they're diseases that are different but have the same outcome or the same management. So we'll use the example of you know, type 1 and type 2 diabetes. So type 1 diabetes tends to happen more in childhood, but it doesn't have to, have to happen only in childhood. But we know what happens is there's an event where they're sensitised, they get an infection, or they're sensitised to something that causes, let's say, an immune response that targets their pancreas. So they get what we call an autoimmune disease. And so this then targets their cells in their pancreas that produce insulin. And from that, over time, they have their immune system attack their pancreas and they can't produce insulin. So type 1 diabetes, they then can't regulate their sugars because they don't have anything to produce insulin which makes it important for sugar to go into the cell and be used glucose so that's an autoimmune disease and we know 
that those people have increased risk of other autoimmune diseases. So it can happen a little bit later in life, but that's the understanding of disease of type 1 diabetes. Type 2 diabetes tends to be a metabolic disease that gets dysfunction of those same cells and they can't produce or keep up the amount of insulin required. So two very different disease processes. And from what we have there, we know that sugar regulation is hard in these, in these people. One, because they don't have insulin. And two, because they don't produce enough to manage it. But they have the same disease process, meaning that we need what we call microvascular and macrovascular complications. And we talk about that, the blood vessels to the heart and, and brain can cause a stroke or a heart attack, or they have problems with their small vessels, like in the eye or the kidney or their peripheral nerves. And so it's two different disease process, has the same kind of action and the same outcomes, but that's the understanding of pathology. The other one that that probably had me the most uh, perplexed when I was a medical student was uh, one where we start looking at uh, bone tumours. And so it, it was, I, I remember I was sitting uh, with a vascular surgeon and I was a medical student and a patient came in with uh, left side arm weakness. And the GP had thought, is this a thoracic outlet problem, which means do the vessels get caught under the first rib and the clavicle and then cause weakness down the arm? When the vascular surgeon uh, did an examination, he felt the back of her arm, it was all fine, and then her back on the spine, and she was sore on the spine. And from her history, she had a tumour in a breast removed two years previously. Now, I didn't know exactly you're sort of learning but after the patient left the surgeon turned to me and said what's your differential diagnosis and I said I said an entrapped nerve and he said with that history the most the the this diagnosis is metastatic breast cancer until proven otherwise and because you sit there and go she had a breast lump removed you need to rule out worst case scenario in that area. And from there, I remember thinking, so how does a breast tumor lodge in bone and grow? And what I realized from then is you sit there and just go, actually, the most common bone tumor is a metastasis. And so when you look at it, you sit there and just go, well, what are the most common metastasis to that area? It's prostate, kidney, lung, and breast. So what is it about those tumours that goes to the bone and is able to adhere and produce? And that's pathology. Someone one day will come up with the answer and say, why do those tumour cells go to bone? Why is it able to lodge there? Why is it able to survive there? Why is it able to thrive there? And if you get to that point and answer that question, you could potentially say, you've got prostate cancer, here's a preventative to make sure it doesn't go to bone. Would you say that experience you had was fundamental to what locked you into this world of pathology for the rest of your life? I, I think so. I, it, was, it was one of those ones where, again, it's still vivid. Uh, I still remember the, the, the area where it was. Um, 
but it was just one of those ones where you sit there and go of all the way of all the areas that breast cancer if it was could spread why would it lodge there why did it not go somewhere else and that was that was for me now it may not have been that at all it might have been just something completely benign but it it certainly captured it just the idea stuck with me and it might stick with other people listening who could be at the beginning of their medical careers not sure which way to go we'll come back in a moment we'll talk about what the pathway is like into the world of pathology nup i closed my legs tight just thinking about it Mary was a real trooper, and I thank her for her foresight to future generations. Dr. Travis Brown is helping us explore this pathological life, and we're getting a glimpse through your stories, Travis, of how real humans intersect with the world of pathology to aid our GPs, our specialists, as they try to get the prognosis right and and come up with what the pathway forward is it is an all-consuming passion for many people. What, what do you see around the people working here at Clinpath? This is your area, your domain. What I, what I see is dedicated people, uh, people who are passionate about their area. So when, what people don't know, like when, when you say you're a pathologist, what most people think is I'm a person who takes blood. And I have done that job before, and it's very important. And I tell you, when you're sitting in front of a patient, they want the best person to take blood and know that you're going for a vein and not a nerve uh, to do it. So I didn't even think that was an option. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> we try not to take blood from bones. Uh, but it's, it's one of those ones where you sit there and go, and, and being in the, working in the collection centre, you get an appreciation for... Uh, I do remember working when doctors had stamps with that put in and there was 40 tests and you said, oh, I have to work out how many tubes uh, goes in this uh, so that I don't get a recollect. But what do I see? I see people who are passionate, um, people that know that every test that comes through the door is actually associated with a patient, mainly because we've been that patient before, but you, you sit there and just go, you know, if you've got a blood test, yeah, you get upset if you sit there and just go, oh, the specimen got you know, lost. No, we treat every specimen as it's linked to a patient. And so whether that be a blood test, whether that be a biopsy, whether that be a swab. Uh, so the people who do it, the collectors who are the, you know, wonderful people at the front door who, yep, if you have to wait a little while, wait a little while, but... Uh, you know, if they have to do, sometimes you have to sit there for a few hours in a, you know, collection centre and actually have a, a drink of a glucose drink. Um, but then the courier who picks that up, who brings it to the laboratory, the specimen reception who puts it into our details, the scientists who ensure that the machines are running well so that the specimens are accurate, or the scientists who cut it up for, you know, us to look at. Uh, there's passion there because, you know, if, even if you, you look at as a pathologist, you do medical school, you be a junior doctor, and then you're in a training course for, however, normally a minimum of five years. So people are dedicated to a point where not only do they then finish their training, but sometimes they even do subspecialties and they do further training in, you know, one area, be it skin, uh, be it uh, lung, whatever. So... These people uh, are dedicated to being correct when they get someone's tissue on their desk or, you know, the right results. Uh, I'm 
you know, quite taken uh, with regards to how dedicated people are. Not only that, you know you don't know it all. So the collegial attitude is when you have something that, you know, you need to ask, what is this or can I have your help? It's, it's fantastic. What's becoming clearer to me in, as we go deeper into these conversations is how the gift that pathology brings to the world of medicine is it quantifies the nuance. It helps us see, as you, that story before with diabetes, A and B, and, and the journey we've had as humankind and understanding those differences and so on. And here we are. I almost wonder... A pathologist, as much as you're passionate about the people who are behind these labels, um, you don't have to have the bedside manner. You can get in there, <laughs> grab that bit and sort it out, whereas the GP can't do that but has to manage uh, our psychology. Yeah, look, there, there are – again, there's personalities everywhere. Um, I can say the, the personalities here have been amazing uh, to deal with, uh, always – Personable, uh, always uh, great to, to talk to. And if you ever have any questions, uh, I've never had a problem with regards to it. But yes, there's personality, there's personality everywhere. There's, uh, you know, some people who know you don't, you know, I remember working in the hospital. No, you don't talk to, you know, him before 10 o'clock, before he's had his coffee. <laughs> uh, you know, they're, they're everywhere. It's, it's navigating the system. It's, again, in pathology. Yes, you can actually, but uh, a lot of the people I've found are very happy to talk to clinicians because we all remember what it's like not to know something and then you're always sort of happy when someone says either I don't know as well or there isn't an answer or here is the answer uh, and and that's what we're there for. All right. Uh, rule of thumb, if someone is at that part of their career where they're looking into pathology, lots of different uh, pathways within pathology, How, what ready reckoner would you give them? for finding a calling that might suit them? Uh, don't be afraid to try a few different things. Uh, and and that's, that's, that's being honest. There's, you know, there's always the urgency to get into a training course and, and, and everything. Sometimes some of the most interesting people are people who've gone through a few, uh, a few different either specialties or, or uh, a few different training courses. So the, the main point behind that, no experience is actually lost in medicine, like, you know, if you've done, uh, you know, a stint as obstetrics and gynecology, that helps you in your practice should you ever choose to go into pathology because you've had the practical experience. Uh, often in pathology, we don't have main exams until, uh, you know, three or four years in. So if you choose, it's not for you, then it's not for you. That's okay. Um, you can move. But uh, look, the reason why I got into pathology is because the question that I enjoyed, like getting into hospitals, it was actually just getting things done was the challenge. It wasn't the diagnosis, because once someone's on a cardiology ward, yeah, they've got a problem with their heart, uh, you know. So you know that there's not a diagnostic sort of algorithm to work. So ED was probably the undifferentiated patient that came in, whereas in pathology, you're actually saying, someone's genuinely saying, here's this skin biopsy, what is it? And so your main focus is diagnosis is management uh what is it what is the clinician going to do with it and that's what we deal with final thought you know that pathology has gradually been learning more and more about more things over time and shining a light where once there was darkness and shadow what could a mary papanikolaou be working on in this day and age to help shine a light 
already her contribution is is so large you probably couldn't even you know do it again like the the thing that what everyone sort of I guess you forget when you read the pathology book is there's probably a bit about a thousand people who have studied either that area or there've been a thousand people who have had that condition who have volunteered their time you know to to give us the knowledge that we have like you know when we when we do look at that someone not only realized they had cancer sounds someone worked out that it was linked to uh, an infection a hpv um it, it was just i guess the benevolence of of people to volunteer when we talk about drug trials uh you know people trialing drugs that's actually people saying yeah i will be the experimental person with regards to it, uh, you know, for this new drug that's coming out for the benefit of others. So for, for, for Mary, I think we can just talk about Mary. Uh, I think that's one of those ones. If anyone's got information, please send it through. I couldn't find anything <laughs> um, about her. It would, be what, it would be shining a light because the, the contribution uh, George and Mary Papanikolaou uh, has affected well, it's affected millions and saved hundreds of thousands of lives. Um, if we could honour their memory, then I think that would be something that um, something we'd like to do. This Pathological Life is produced by ClinPath Pathology in South Australia. Episode notes, references and learning objectives, when applicable, can be found at thispathologicallife.com.au. And you can contact the hosts on Twitter via at Dr. Travis Brown or at Steve Davis.